as we uh, prepare to look into the Word, can you look to someone and say, uh, Happy New Year? Can you say that? All right. Yeah. I know it's, uh, we're a little bit into the year, but you could still say that. Can you say, uh, let's worship the Lord today? Can you say that? Let's worship God today. Awesome. Uh, it's a blessing that we get to do this together in community. Um, this, uh, this week I was remembering, uh, that's kind of what this series is about. I was remembering when I was a, a sophomore in high school, uh, I was trying to get my grades up so I could make it to college. And so I talked with one of my friends and said, hey, what are some electives that we can take that are pretty simple that will help boost our grade point average? And he said, oh, I'm taking a class called Gourmet Cooking. Why don't you take it with me? So I got really excited to take gourmet cooking, not because I uh, want to be a gourmet cook or, or anything like that. I'm certainly not. But I wanted to boost my grade point average. So I took this class called gourmet cooking for the first semester of my sophomore year. Um, I, I didn't like the class very much. I didn't like it when I started, and I didn't like it as I got into it. I definitely didn't like it at the end because uh, I was never really that big into cooking. There was uh, w- one day where I was just kind of like messing around in class, and when there was about 25 minutes left in class, we were making brownies that day, you know, 25 minutes left in class, uh, I decided that I ought to get started on my brownies. And so I looked at the box, and it said it takes 30 minutes to make brownies. I had 25 minutes left in class, so I started, like, scrambling. And I wasn't good at cooking. I'm still not that great at cooking, but I was really good at math. And so I made this equation. If I'm supposed to do 350 for 30 minutes, I'm going to do four. 450 for 22 minutes. That's what I did. And I put it into the oven trying to beat the clock. And as I was chilling, the oven started smoking and my brownie started burning. Needless to say, that when my progress report came, Mrs. Bubeck, that was her name, elderly lady with white curly hair, gave me a D on my progress report. I was very upset. I was very angry. So I went to Mrs. Bubeck and I said, I took this class so that I could get a good grade. Uh, Obviously, I'm not. What can I do in order to bring my grade up? And she said, you can come in and do some extra credit. (laughs) I was like, okay, what is that? She said, you can come after school for an hour, and you could scrub these pots and pans. They were like pots and pans that were crusted with like black char on it. She said, you can come in, I'll give you a Brillo pad, and you use a little bit of elbow grease, and you get these pots and pans clean, and I'll bring your grade up. And so I did it, but it was a fool's errand because it was impossible to get that stuff off. I went after school for like three days in a row, and I was scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing, and nothing happened. At the end of the class, I managed to bring my grade up, but I ended up with a C, in gourmet cooking. This was not the GPA booster that I expected it to be. And I was really mad, and probably a little bit of me is still salty towards Mrs. Bubeck to this day. I'm a little bit resentful and bitter. But at the end of the day, it wasn't her assessment of me that was wrong. What was wrong was the way I went about doing my business, and had I listened to what she said during my progress report, I could have gotten a better grade, but I didn't heed her advice. And that's why it ended up badly for me. I want to ask you a question as we begin this year. If Jesus were to come to you today and give you a progress report of your life in faith, what would he say to you? If Jesus were to come to our church and say, hey, church, here's your progress report. Harvest, Winter Garden, 16796 East Davenport Road, Winter Garden, Florida. Here's your progress report, and we're to read it 
what do you think God would say? What would Jesus say to us? And more importantly, would we listen to what he had to say? Uh, 1,900 years ago, Jesus did just that. He went to seven churches in Asia Minor, which is kind of the modern-day uh, Turkey area, and to these churches that were known at the time, he gave letters to them, a progress report, so to speak. And in some of them, there was a commendation, and some of them, there was a critique, and some of them, there were both, and some of them, there were only one or the other. But as we begin this year remembering the things of God, I want to call us to remembrance something that Jesus deems to be extremely important for us if we want to progress in the life of faith. I want to read together from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is the letter, the progress report that Jesus gives to the church in Ephesus, to the Ephesian church, to the church that we know because there's a book called the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote years before the book of Revelation was written, Jesus writes a letter to the church in Ephesus calling them to remember something that is vital for us to remember. And I think it has extreme importance for us today, significant ramifications. We're going to read Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. Um, This is God's word for God's people. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, okay, Jesus is saying, talking to this angel, overseeing the church in Ephesus. He says, write these words. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered. And have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is God's word. It's about 1,900 years ago, Jesus is writing this to the church in Ephesus. Um, In Acts 19, it tells us, how the church of Ephesus came to be. It was actually uh, the Apostle Paul and one of his missionaries had, had started this, this, this church, a group of people he gathered them together, and it says day and night, okay, day and night, hour after hour after hour, he would open up the Hebrew scriptures and he would teach the people there. He would share the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ with the people in Ephesus, and in time, the gospel began to grow, began to spread, and house churches were planted all over Ephesus. There were these homes where people met, and the gospel was going forth in these places. There were miracles, there were testimonies, there were amazing things that were happening in Ephesus, even in the face of significant pressure and persecution. You might remember if you were here a couple weeks ago on the last day of 2018, we talked about the church in Ephesus, how it was a horror show when it came to morality. It was immoral to the core. It was indecent. There 
there was, there was um, all kinds of sensuality. There was all kinds of immorality, idolatry. They had hundreds of different gods that they were worshiping, and the culture was swimming in wickedness. And yet in the midst of that darkness, the Apostle Paul goes in, and Jesus uses him, God uses him to start a church, a light in the darkest place. That's why it says, uh, holds the seven stars in his right hand. He's talking about the stars are the angels of the churches, and it says, he walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven lampstands are the seven different churches in Asia Minor to which Jesus is speaking and to which John is writing. And so you've got this idea that in the midst of all of this darkness, by the grace of God, a church is starting, and the church begins to thrive after three years Paul is preaching and he's teaching and the gospel begins to flourish and this church becomes known as a church that's filled with the spirit of God amazing things are happening there they've got miraculous testimonies and and people are coming to know the Lord so much so that after three years when Paul leaves the church it says they embrace on the shores as he gets onto the boat and it says they wept and they wept and they wept after just three years being with them They said, this is our leader, he's our church planter, he's our pastor, and after three years, they weep, knowing that they're not going to see him ever again. This is a church that is so dear to Paul that after he leaves, he sends his closest disciple, Timothy, to be the pastor of that church. Later, after Timothy would go away, it would be the Apostle John who wrote the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. John would go and he would serve at this church in Ephesus. This was an amazing church. This was a vibrant church. This was a thriving church. This was a church that everybody knew about. It was the church amongst the churches that you wanted to be at if you lived anywhere near this area. And so it is to this church, 40 years later, after its founding, that a letter is written to them. And as it's being opened up to them, uh, there is an important message that it has for us also. What do we see? I just want to bring out two thoughts here. The first thing is this. You could be doing it all right But without love, it's not all right. You could be doing it all right. But without love, it ain't all right. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. He's talking about how he owns these angels in his hands. And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's walking amongst the churches. Kind of like a teacher does when you're taking an exam. The teacher is walking through. So the teacher's not saying, hey, I'm far away. I can see what everyone is doing. I can see that one person is looking at her fingernails. Another person is on their phone. Another person is talking. Another person is locked in it. He's not saying like that. He's walking amongst the golden lampstands. So he's walking. He's intimate, has a familiar has a deep knowledge of everything that's happening within the church. And as he walks, he says, I see you. I see everything that you're doing. I see everything that you do. He says here, I know your deeds in verse 2, your hard work and your perseverance. Saying, some of you, you guys like to be the ones who are behind the stage, setting things up. Nobody needs to see what you do, and you're completely cool with that. But what Jesus is saying is, I see all of that stuff that you do. I see what you do for me. I see what you do for the church. I see the things that no one else sees because you don't post them on Instagram. I see the ways in which you go and you visited that sick person. I see the way you went and you visited that person in the hospital. I see the food that you brought to that newborn baby. I see the things that you do even though nobody else sees them. He's like, I see what you do. 
I know all of that stuff. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. He's saying, literally, I know that you've been working to the point of exhaustion. You have been faithful, and you have been faithful, and you have been faithful, and you continue to be faithful, but you don't consider it a, what more do I have to do? You say, what more can I do? He says, I see that. You've been working hard for the cleaning ministry, and I see that. And I commend you for it. I see when you picked up trash in the bathroom and nobody else picked it up. I see that you see the paper towels on the ground. And you picked it up and you threw it away even though there was nobody else around to see it. I see what you do even though your pastor never sees and never preaches about the things that you did. I see all of that good stuff that you do. You have been faithful. You have been working hard. And you have deeds that demonstrate all of the passion that you have for your church. Because I see that. I see you young people who come to SLT and spend an entire Saturday at church. I see you praise team as you come at 7 o'clock in the morning in order to prep and to set up and to wait and to pray. Even though you know that half the other people might be late, you still come on time. And I see that. And I commend that. And I honor that. And I love that you do that. It says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Wouldn't it be awesome if you could hear Jesus say that? of you. I know how you pray when no one else sees. I know the unseen tears that you shed, and I hold them in a bottle because they're precious to me. I see all that, he says. And then he goes on, and he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. He's saying, not only do you guys work hard, not only is there a zeal and a passion for the church and for the ministry of God, but you've got it going on theologically. You don't deal with those false teachers, right? You don't, you don't listen to them. You understand when people try to twist and distort the biblical view of marriage, you don't go down that path, okay? You stand for what scripture says, and you've given yourself fully to trust in God, even in the face of persecution. When other people say, you're so, you're so in the last century, you're missing the boat, you're on the wrong side of history, you stand firm because you know what the word of God says, you don't believe in this health and wealth gospel. You don't believe that you need to buy uh, your pastor a $3 billion jet so that you can fly him around. You don't believe that kind of stuff because you stick to what is true and you stick to the gospel. He says, I see that. And then he goes on and he says in verse 5, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. He says, I understand that living in the Roman Empire, there has been a persecution that has come to your church and that many lives have been at stake and many lives have been in danger and many lives have been imprisoned and your people are amongst them. But you have persevered and you have not grown weary. When I think about the church in Ephesus, I, uh, I cannot help but to think of uh, the church in Asia, the church in China in particular these days as we hear about the persecution that has come to our brothers and sisters there how recently hundreds of, of, of faithful men and women of God, uh, pastors in the church in China, have taken a stand and said, we will obey God rather than men, even at the cost of our lives. I remember uh, a few weeks back, there was a pastor named Wang Yi, and before uh, anything ever happened, while he was hearing rumblings that the persecution is going to come and government is going to shut down churches, he wrote this letter saying, I will be faithful 
and I will not deny my Savior. And this is what he said after he was arrested. It was published and being circulated. Um, this is not the best part or the first part or the last part. It's just a part that I just happened to snip. And it said, um, those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom, that I might take the gospel to them. Separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life, and no one but Christ can raise me from the dead. This was his stand that he took. And he said, I will be faithful even to the point of death. And many others stood with him in this. When I hear that, when I read that, when I read the news of the church in China and around the world, I think about the church in Ephesus, how they have persevered. And all of these things, he says, you have done this for my name. You didn't do this for the church in Ephesus' sake. You didn't do this so that you could become popular. You didn't do this so that you could have a reputation or standing amongst the churches in Asia Minor. You did this for my name, for the sake of Christ. And you said, I will give my life for you, Jesus. And he says, I see all those things. Wouldn't it be awesome if Jesus were to come to our church and he would say, this is you, Harvest. I see all of the work that you do. You persevere. You work hard and you're faithful. You're faithful and you do not give up. You stand on the truth of ancient scripture and you do not waver in the face of cultural shifts and things that threaten the gospel of Christ in you. You have endured persecution even though there are haters who come against you, even though it comes at a cost to your life. You continue to remain firm in the faith for our Lord Jesus Christ, considering following him to be the pearl of great price worth giving up everything for. If you lived in Ephesus, this was the church that you wanted to be at. <laughs> this was amazing. If you keep reading, in verse 4, you see this huge, massive, monumental, shift in direction, game-changing word. He says, yet. In other translations, in the original translations, it says, but. <laughs> but, yet, their distant cousin, however, these words are important because these are game-changing phrases. You could say whatever you want up front, but then when but and yet and however come into the equation, everything changes because when you see that word, you realize that everything up until this point has been awesome, but everything that follows is what really matters. We thank you so much for the submission of your resume to work at our company. We have received numerous amazing candidates much like you. We are grateful that we have such a talent pool to choose from. But <laughs> we regret to inform you that we've gone another direction. Thank you for your application to the University of Florida. We have many amazing candidates who submit their applications each year. Sadly, we can only accept a handful of them. Yours was one of the finest, yet, dot, dot, dot. Right, what happens after the yet is massive. It's huge. It's crucial. Hey, girl, I like you a lot. 
I've observed you in house church. I want to be your boyfriend. I want to marry you. Hmm, well, gosh, you know, I really like everything about you, brother. <laughs> you are a fine man of God. You are strong and you are handsome. You are gifted. You are kind. You are generous. You are everything that anyone would ever want in a husband. Whoever marries you would be so lucky. But <laughs> I don't see you like that. <laughs> Let's just be friends. Permanently barred to the friend zone or in the church, the brother zone. <laughs> what happens after the yet makes all the difference in the world. In fact, that's what matters most. And so you've got this huge three-letter word. I've seen all that stuff that you're doing. You guys are awesome. You are amazing. This is a great church, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. He's saying you could be doing all the right things, but if you've forsaken your first love, then it's not all right. Can I ask you, would Jesus say this about you? I ask this about myself. Would Jesus say this about me? And far too many times, if I'm honest with you and I'm honest with myself and honest with God, this is me. I'm busy, I'm persevering, I'm working hard, I'm doing all of these things, and Jesus sees all the stuff that I see even though nobody else ever sees it. He sees what I deal with, he sees the things that I, and then he says, you know what, yet, this one thing, this one thing, which means everything. He asked me, have you forsaken your first love? Guys, we could be busy, even as a church, doing all of these great things for him. We could be going to hundreds of different countries and all of these different outreaches and be reaching out to all of these people. But the question he asks us is, have you forsaken your first love? Does a love for Jesus still drive everything that you do or has it been replaced by all that you do for him? In other words, are you replacing intimacy with activity? Activity for God. Because this is an insidious temptation that the enemy brings into our lives. He will try whatever he can. He will try deception. He will try division. And if he cannot, then he will bring about distraction. And the enemy of the best is usually the good. But I'm serving God. Did you know that you could serve God without having Jesus still be front and center in your heart? Did you know that you could be busy for God without loving God? Did you know that you could be doing all the right things and it not be all the right things? Because it does not have love. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you know what? You, you could speak in the tongue of men and angels. You could have prophecies. You could have all of these, know, know these mysteries and, and fathom everything. You could have faith that moves mountains. You could give all you have to the poor. You could even, for all, you could die as a martyr, your body to the flames. But if you have not love, then you have nothing. Holy cow. I could die as a martyr and Jesus say, you didn't do anything for me. He says, if you don't have love, then everything you do is multiplied by zero. If you don't have love, loveless devotion 
loveless house church attendance, loveless SNF attendance, loveless serving God, loveless singing to him. It says, without love, you've multiplied everything you do by zero because this is the most important thing. Yeah, we're still going to SNF. Yeah, we're still going to house church. Yeah, we're still doing all these things. Yeah, we're still being busy for God. But Jesus is no longer first and foremost in our hearts. Could that be said of you? Could that be said of us? Because here is the great danger. The longer you do the work of God, the easier it is to justify doing the work of God absent, devoid of a love for God. That's why people say seminary is often a cemetery. Because we think because I'm studying the things of God, surrounded by the people of God, learning from these men of God, constantly thinking about the word of God, it's easy for us to think that that is the same thing as loving the God whose word we study. And the road of Christian ministry is strewn with people who have forsaken their first love. Would Jesus say that's true of you? Would Jesus say that's true of us? The first thing we see here is you could be doing all the right things, but without love, it ain't all right. The second thing that we see then is it's critical that we hear what Jesus says. It says in verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's saying, okay, I'm talking historically to the church in Ephesus, but if you're hearing this now, he says, I'm talking to you. If you've got an ear to hear, then you've got to heed, you've got to listen, okay? Because this is really important. That's what Jesus is saying. How important is this? How important is this? And what did the Ephesian church do with this word of God? What it says in, in verse uh, at the end of verse 5, he says, If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That's what Jesus is saying. He, he, he doesn't say, hey, guys, I love what you're doing. You're persevering. Your orthodoxy, your, your theology is amazing. You're going through undergoing persecution. Just one minor thing I'd want you to change. Hey, just go back to your first love and, and, and love me above all things. That will make everything better. Okay, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, guys, if you don't get this, then here's what's going to happen. That lampstand upon which your lamp sits, I'm going to take it. And that lamp, that light is going to go out. And your church is going to be no more. He's not saying just one minor tweak here, guys. He's saying the entire thing needs to be overhauled because if it's not, then your church is in danger. This was a church that Paul started. Paul, Timothy, John, they all served this church. This was the it church in the time. And yet just a few short years after this letter was written, the lamp of the church went out. Ephesian church was the flavor of the day, like many churches in our day and age. But you hear this all the time, don't you? That any church is one generation away from extinction. You hear about this, okay, you hear about this. 
we, we hear about, oh, you know, 20 years ago, 10, 10 years ago, the church in Korea is the most vibrant church, the dynamic church. The church in Korea is going to revive the world. Today, what they say is 29%. 29% of Korea considers them to be Christian. 29%. In 10 years. 3% of college age and under in Korea considers themselves to be Christians. 3%. Three out of 100, one out of 33 people, one out of 33 people in Korea, your college age and younger, say, I follow, I bow my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened? I don't know. I don't know what happened. But what he's saying here in Scripture is if you don't return to first love, this is your future. Churches could still be around. People could still be coming. Awana could still be running. Youth ministry still be, be running. But the anointing of God removed from a church. No longer a vitality, a vibrancy, a fire within the hearts of the people of God. See this in Ephesus. We see this in Korea. You see it in Europe. Amazing churches. You see this in Spain. That's why our missionaries have to go to Spain. Spain, why do you need missionaries in Spain? Because less than 1% of the population claims that they worship the Lord Jesus Christ. In Europe, where the gospel, where the Reformation began to take place and the gospel began to spread. And just because we sing, God bless America, land that I love does not mean that this same thing cannot happen to the church in America. And just because things might be looking okay here does not mean that the same thing cannot happen to us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And the question he's asking is, what do we do with what we hear? Because here's the goodness of God. The way back is actually a lot easier <laughs> than we think. Three steps. The first one in verse 5, he says, remember the height from which you've fallen. The first step towards reclaiming that first love is to remember those days when his love first captivated your heart. Do you remember those days? Do you remember those days when the love of God was everything to you? When you said, I will give up my boyfriend, my girlfriend. I will give up my, those ungodly relationships. I'll give up those habits. I'll give up those addictions and I'll follow Jesus. Wherever he wants me to go, I will follow him and I will go. And wherever he leads me, I'm going to go through tears of joy, tears through joy, whatever it takes. I'm going to follow Jesus. Do you remember when his love first invaded your heart? Do you want that love? I want that love. I don't know what it means for you to remember. Maybe for some of you it means thinking back to that retreat where you were and someone prayed for you and you just could not stop being filled with thankfulness for the message of the cross. For some of you, maybe it's as you look through journals and you think of your convictions and you read about how much you love Jesus, that drives you. For some of you, it's some of the songs that we sing that just grab the hold of your heart. For me, it's, it, it's songs that I used to sing. It's, it's, it's artists that I used to listen to. It's people like the Vineyard Music Group. I, I listen to, or, or Keith Green. I, I, I listen to songs from Keith Green, and, and my heart is taken back to that time, and, and I want that. I want that longing for Christ, that love for Christ. Oh, Lord, please light the fire that once burned bright and clear. Replace the lamp of my first love that burns with holy fear. 
My eyes are dry. My faith is old. My heart is hard. My prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. What does it mean for you? What does it look like for you to remember the height from which we've fallen? Because the memory and remembering where we were when first love invaded our hearts causes us to long for that again. That first step is so simple that anybody can do it. Can you remember those times when you love Jesus more than you do right now? When Jesus' love was bigger than sin, bigger than temptation, bigger than all you could do for him, just being with him was enough for you. The love of Jesus was all in all to you. He says, remember. Second thing he says, repent and do the things you did at first. When we remember, if, if maybe today, the day you love Jesus is right now more than any other day in your life, that's awesome. Tomorrow, then fight to love Jesus more than you do today so that the day you die, you can say, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin I resign. My Jesus, if ever I loved you, my Jesus, it's now. Let that be your prayer. And every day that you would say that more than you did yesterday. And that tomorrow, in two days, you say you love Jesus more than you do tomorrow. And so that when you die, the last day of your life is a day when your love for Christ is the highest. It can be. It should be. But if today your love for Jesus is lower than it was at some other point, then think about when that time was. And that gap between where I am and the remembering, the memory of what was. Right? How does that gap get filled? He says it's filled through repentance. We say, God, I'm sorry. Cleanse me. Forgive me for not loving you the way that I did. Forgive, for, for, forgive me for the ways in which I've replaced intimacy with activity. When I've been busy for you rather than in love with you, God, change me and cleanse me. And when we turn back to Jesus, we realize that Jesus isn't far off from us. He's right here, and he's ready to meet with us and ready to restore that first love of devotion to you. You repent of your sins, and then the third thing and the last thing it says, it says, do the things you did at first. Repeat the things that you did when you loved Jesus the most. I would bet good money that the days when you loved Jesus the most, there were certain habits that you were engaged in. You were reading the word of God faithfully. You were praying regularly. You were meeting with your house church or with your, uh, with your, with your SNF, with your youth ministry, with your friends. You were doing that not as a mechanical rhythm of life, but as your lifeline. That was your passion. That was your desire. That was your longing. You knew you needed that. Do you know that you need community in your life? Because if you don't, then you will do whatever it takes to not meet in your community. Do you know how much you need the word of God in your life for you to be blessed? Blessed is the man whose delight is in the word of God, the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Do you understand that you cannot be truly happy apart from the word of God according to Psalm 1? Do you know how absolutely vital your prayer life is to your relationship and your happiness and your vitality with God? Because if you don't, 
then there will be countless reasons and excuses for you not to go to those places. But if you long for that first love, the remembering, the memory, the longing of what was becomes a newfound desire for what could be, that, Lord, I've seen you move. I want you. I want you. I believe that you'll do it again. He says, go back and do the things you did at first. When my heart runs dry, when there's no song to sing, no simple melody, no love within, I recall the height from which I've fallen. I will remember you. I will turn back and do the things I used to do for the love of you. It's so easy for us to lose sight of first love. So easy for us to lose sight of first love. And and if you kind of peel back the layers, I think there will be many things that we have been doing that have replaced the lamp of love for Jesus within our hearts. It's the things, the way that we spend our time. How do you spend your time? Are you spending your time in things and places and ways that will cultivate a love for Jesus within your heart? Because there will be a trail, and I could, I'm, I'm pretty sure if we're not loving Jesus, okay, then I'm pretty sure our prayer life is shrinking, our time in the Word is shrinking, our time in the world is growing, our time playing video games, our time watching videos and movies and TV shows and binge watching is growing. That's where our love for Christ has gone. That's where it's gone. There's a trail that leads to the throne of your heart. And if you desire this love for God within your heart, then we need to evaluate where our lives are. Because he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to his church. As he does that, again, the question we need to ask ourselves is, is Jesus saying that to you and to me? Is Jesus saying to you, hey, friend, you've forsaken your first love. What will you do with what you hear? What are you going to do? Because here's the hope of Christ in you. It says in verse 7 at the end of it, he says, to him who overcomes... I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the last book of the Bible, but when you hear the tree of life in the paradise of God, every person who was familiar with the word of God at the church in Ephesus would have their minds taken back to the Garden of Eden, to the first book of the Bible. The last book of the Bible, Jesus walks amongst the churches intimately aware with what they're doing. It was the same in the first book of the Bible as God walked with the people of God in the cool of the garden, intimately aware. But as the hope of the tree of life was held out to them through their obedience, that tree of life would be shut off from them because of their disobedience. But hear what Jesus is saying, is that there is a way that has been made possible for access to the tree of life to be opened up to those to whom it was closed before. How? It says, to him who overcomes Every time we hear the word overcome in Scripture, in Revelation at least, he's not saying, okay, you need to fight to have this love again. Fight for it, fight for it, overcome, overcome, overcome obstacles and live in that first love. That's not what he's saying, at least not first and foremost. Every time he talks about overcoming, it's in the context of repenting and believing in the gospel. Repenting of our love lost and believing in the gospel. Here's what Jesus is saying then. 
the way that you love me with your first love, the reason you love the same John said this is because he has loved you first. Because God loves you, loving God, going back to first love is not about when you first began to love Jesus with everything. It's when his love first began to make sense to you and the gospel became real to you. That's where we need to return to, understanding the gospel. Because access to the tree of life has been given to all those who repent and believe in the gospel, and the gospel tells us that the only person who did not need to eat from the tree of life but instead climbed the tree of death was the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In order that you and I might eat of the tree of life and live in the paradise of God, Jesus lost the paradise of God and lost intimacy with the Father in order that we might have it. This is what he's saying. Guys, if, where will we experience this kind of intimacy with God? It's in heaven. It's in paradise. But if you don't want intimacy with God on earth, then you will not want intimacy with God in heaven. How do you know that you're a child of God? Because you long for this kind of intimacy with God. If you long for heaven apart from intimacy with God, then you don't want Jesus. You want the things that he offers to you. You understand this, right? But if you long for the paradise of God because of the intimacy that you can have with him, then it's a certain sign that your heart is alive and you will long for. Maybe it's been covered up by a bunch of different things, but you'll eventually begin to long for intimacy with him on this earth. The surest sign that you're on your way to intimacy with God in heaven is that you long for intimacy with God on earth here. And as you begin to understand that gospel deep within our hearts, as you begin to understand what he's done in order that you might have intimacy with him, the question then becomes, are we willing to heed the word of God? Would we have the ears to hear what his spirit says to the church? This is not only for the glory of God, but for your blessing, but it's also for the sake of our church as well. Let's hear what he has to say, and let's move out in faith, and let's believe and trust his gospel again. Let's pray together. Let's uh, take a moment to pray to the Lord God as you think about your heart and your life. The call is to remember your first love. The question is, have you forsaken your first love? And if the answer is yes, then the next question is, what will you do in response? How will you respond to this word? I think the first thing that we need to do is just to come and sit under the fountain of God's love. To drink of his love, to receive his love, to embrace his love, to let his love invade our hearts, to awaken our hearts in order that we can then surrender our hearts back to him in love. Let's recall the height from which we've fallen and let's let the memory of those days spark a longing for intimacy with God now. Spend a minute or so praying to the Lord God right now as we confess our need for him as we surrender our hearts to him. Let's pray for a minute or so. Lord, would you restore my first love? Would you restore passion, hunger, desire that Jesus would be my everything again? Lord, take me as I am. Fill me. 
May the gospel become beautiful to me. Let's pray for a minute or so. Just committing our hearts to the Lord. Father in heaven, for all whose first love has become a faint and distant memory, we pray that through a sanctified imagination and mind that you would restore in our hearts the ability to recall that love, to recall what we were doing, to recall the ways in which you captured our hearts. And Lord, may the memory of those days and of a first love that captivated us become a hunger for what could now be today, here, now. Father, we ask that you'd forgive and that you'd cleanse us for the ways in which we've turned away, that we've turned to sin instead of you. We've turned to activity instead of you. We've turned to busyness instead of you. We've turned to uh, serving you instead of loving you. We pray that you would have mercy on us, Lord God, and, and that you would help us to return and do the things that we did that the word of God would become beautiful to us, that the presence of God would be irresistible to us, that praying to you would become our absolute, indispensable lifeline, the joy of our lives. May community become our support that is so desperately needed for us to live in the blessing and the joy of God, not making it a habit of meeting, uh, not making it a habit of not meeting together. But Lord, all the more as we see the day approaching, Lord, we need you. Our church needs you. The level of our church's hunger and love for you will never rise above the individual level of love that we have for you as people because your church is about people and your church is made up of people. So Lord, help us to raise the tide of love for you and burn with holy passion for you. We thank you so much. We love you. We want to love you better. We want to love you as we did at first. We don't want to forsake that first love. So help us to love you because you have loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.